Welcome to another episode of the Superhero Movie Club. We do comic book movie talk from modern to old, where it began, the final product, and its future. We cover everything about the movies, budget, themes, music, source materials, and hell, even the physics. I'm your host, James Schuyler Houtsma. And Michael Maurer. This week's topic, we're doing... You've no idea what I've done. I know that you took the things that mean the most to me. Well, maybe you should have fought harder for them. If you want to fight, Eric, I will give you a fight. Let him come. You abandoned me! You took her away and you abandoned me! Angel. Azazel. Emma. Banshee. Mutant brothers and sisters, you abandoned us all. We were supposed to protect them! Eric! Yes, X-Men Days of Future Past. All right, Skeptical Skylar, give me your first opinion on the brand new Return of Brian Singer X-Men film. Well, uh, it might not sound good, but the thing about uh, X-Men Days of Future Past with me is that it's a movie I don't have terribly much to say on just because it was pretty much great in every aspect. I really respected that they could meld both the old cast members and the new while keeping the focus mainly on what really worked between young Xavier and Magneto, a much more fast-paced action movie than some of the uh, entries in the, the series. Brian Singer does a really good job with a lot of the character work. I don't think he's quite as refined in action, but he's certainly getting there. And ironically enough, the movie itself kind of acts as just going back in the past and wiping away the mistakes made by the franchise. So I gave it about an 80. Ooh, that's high. For me, yes. (laughs) Yes, yes it is. See, I really enjoyed every single action moment in this film. I felt there might have been a couple low moments. I'm always skeptical of time travel films. Always skeptical because it takes a rare time travel film to get on my good side. This one does all right. Because it does, it covers the uh, paradox that I think comes across a lot, where you leave hints in the past so that you can get to the the good future. Well, it's like, well, how did the person do it in the first place without the hints? They didn't really have that problem in this one. But anyway, I really enjoyed the tremendous amounts of action in this film. We hadn't really seen a whole lot of that in the X-Men franchise. Uh, Last Stand did it, but we were too surrounded by how horrible that movie was to really appreciate the action shots in that one. But this one had some fantastic... Like, they just brought in random mutants to fight. And, you know, it kind of worked, and it, I, I, I always love character development, but I'm okay with a metal dude, a flaming dude, an ice dude, and a teleporting chick all going, destroying a bunch of robots. It was great. So I'd give it probably close to a... Uh, 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 85 85 we'll go 85 because originally I didn't have I came out of the theater like ah time travel always gets me I can never like it unless I can't understand it because <laughs> that's, that's how I feel time travel should be but this time I was like that's okay it was good enough I think probably the major strength of it is that they didn't focus on you know the time travel intricacies of it so much as character work and going back and helping a certain character get over himself, really. You're absolutely right. It wasn't Time Cop. It was not Time Cop. I kind of wish it was a little bit like Time Cop. 
Well, someone should have done the splits. That's all I'm saying. Anyone should have done the splits. Well, they did go back to the 70s, so. (laughs) All right. Well, let's first cover our always first topic, the money of the film. Take it away, Skyler. Ooh, well, X-Men Days of Future Past featured a budget of around $200 million, uh, and that really paid off for it since its domestic gross was was about uh, $233.9 million. Uh, that's, I believe, the second best domestic gross for an X-Men film, following, sadly, The Last Stand. Mm, you know, it's always a tragedy how sequels get the money. It's how Hollywood works. It's all about momentum. It doesn't matter how good it is. It just matters how good the last one was. Yeah. The next two was great. X-Men has this weird pattern with budgets. I believe the first one did okay. Second one did better. It peaked at the third movie and then it started dropping with Wolverine. The lowest grossing is I believe First Class, which is what well, had the worst reputation because it was yeah. it was coming off Last Stand and if you could even get lower than Last Stand, Origins Wolverine. Exactly. So, unfortunately, First Class being a definite uptick in the series quality suffered from where the franchise was at at that point. And then after that, I think people started warming back up to it, and this is where you feel the full effect of that. Uh, its whole worldwide gross was $745 million, which is the highest-grossing X-Men movie in worldwide terms. How much? It made about, what, $512 million mm-hmm. uh, in foreign markets? That's almost twice as much as Last Stand made. That's insane. Yeah. 200 million and you want to double that to make more money? They they rival again. Last Stand is higher than Days of Future Past domestically, but in foreign markets, Days of Future Past did twice as well. Does that say something about superhero movies in the foreign market? Do they just love action or something? Or Hollywood is just in the last 8 years since Last Stand has come out, have they just gotten a lot better at targeting those people? One smaller aspect of this, I think, is that Days of Future Past features a few more international stars, like the lady who plays Blink. I think the guy who plays Bishop are known for some of their movies outside of the U.S., but that's a small thing. The thing about international grosses, with sequels especially, is they only get higher almost all the time with each uh, entry. Just look at the largest grossing movie this year is on the worldwide scale is Transformers, and that only makes more money with each one. Pirates 4 started trailing off in the U.S. markets. Worldwide made more than any of the other ones. So it's it's this pattern that with each subsequent movie across the seas, they make more. So I think we can see that here too. Yeah, it's astounding. I don't really understand it fully. The dialogue translates a lot better in a different language. I'd like to think the reasons are more nuanced than that, but Probably. I don't have yeah. have any evidence to support that. Case so. study. Should yeah. do a case study on that. I could do that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, as of uh, November 2014, X-Men Days of Future Past is the sixth most profitable at the U.S. box office and the fourth worldwide. I want to make a quick comparison to another movie we recently talked about, which is Amazing Spider-Man 2, in that I'm just noticing a lot of similarities here in that production budget for both was about $200 million. Mm-hmm. Uh, Worldwide gross, uh, X-Men brought in about 
38, 40 million more. Than Spider-Man? Yep. It's sitting higher than Spider-Man in both domestic and foreign. And yet, it's just funny to me because they brought in pretty similar amounts, especially considering how much they were made for. X-Men is viewed as a breakout success, like the best the franchise has ever had. And Spider-Man is viewed as a disappointment, even though they're, they pretty much made almost identical sums. So I just find that funny in how expectation plays. Well, there's the critical aspect as well. What does Spider-Man have on Rotten Tomatoes? They do, they've got about 54%? 53% for critics and and about 68% for audiences. And doesn't X-Men have close to over 90%? X-Men is tied in both critics and audiences at 92%. See, I think that's where they they deem success. Right. Uh, Well, you have to separate success into two categories, critical and financial. Both were financial. One happened to be twice as much critical. Good point there. Next up, this story... X-Men Days of Future Past is based on a similar comic book two-issue series done by Chris Claremont in 1981 called Days of Future Past. Who knew? And this is a very, it's a short story, but it, it's, it's impactful because it was, it's really interesting to look at. And it's fun to see how much they changed, how much they, how much they kept the same. You have this parallel, not parallel world. You have a future world. Here, let me set the mood. It's 2013. <laughs> Society is separated into three class. A. For homo sapiens that don't have the mutant gene. You want me to keep doing this? No, okay. we're done. Okay. <laughs> I appreciate it. Uh, the second class, people who carry the gene so they're not allowed to breed. And the third class, people with active mutant genes who are hunted down strapped on with an inhibility or something collars what do they call those oh. inhibility collars inhibitors inhibitors yes inhibitor collars so they can't use their powers and if they don't wear the collars they get destroyed by robots the huge difference was the movie tied first class heavily into days of future past the film the book didn't have to do that it wasn't limited by those constraints but it did have a, some stark differences in that in the book, Shadowcat goes back. Who did, wasn't even Shadowcat at the time. She was known as Kate Pride. Her 30- or 40-year-old self goes and inhibits Kitty's body. And instead of that being Wolverine. Now, Scour, why don't you tell me exactly why they chose Wolverine instead of Shadowcat for the film? Because of six... X-Men movies up until this one, Wolverine has been the main focus on all of them. And basically, when you come down to choosing between Hugh Jackman and Ellen Page, who hasn't been in a movie for quite some time, I think they made the safe bet in bringing Jackman back. Well, why break the the streak? Why break? He's already done six. Why not make it seven? Well, I can't really say, but other than just... It's Hugh Jackman as Wolverine. Fans love him. That's I mean, true. He's a huge fan favorite. Yeah, he and is. He does really. it so well. He very much does. It's not like we're bashing on this. We completely understand why they chose Wolverine instead of Shadowcat as the focus. Oh, absolutely. They did incorporate her into the story, though. See, that's what next point I'm getting at. In the book, you have this future telepath named Rachel who does this to, you know, sends Shadowcat's mind back in time. In the movie... They use the same technique, but they give Shadowcat 
or Kitty Pride that new extra ability because before she could just face their walls. And now suddenly she has this thing called mind skimming where she can send your mind back in time. That's where that was a really big no selling point for me. But looking back at it, I appreciate it more because it wasn't really about giving her an unrealistic power. That happens all the time. It was a little bit of a throwback to the original material. So now I kind of appreciate it more by giving her a heavier involvement in the film instead of none at all, which she would have been <laughs> pretty much. Oh, instead of having Trask, Peter Dinklage's character, mm-hmm. be the center or the catalyst that sends the world into apocalypse mode, which I don't get how they really figure that out. I feel as if there's a thousand different things. You could really go much farther back than Trask getting shot. Senator Kelly did die in the first X-Men film, and that was kind of a big thing, too. Yeah, it was. Um <laughs> As far as, you know, their uses of Trask, they kind of explained it as, oh, well, it was the point where Mystique killed Trask. That they got a hold of her DNA and used his assassination as, yeah, all that fun stuff. So it was... I don't know where they got all that information. No, I don't know that either, especially since... They just exp- like they did that, that flashback exposition dump at one point. I was like, where did they figure all of this out? It's the future. Just let it go. Right. And there was that scene at the very end of the movie, The Wolverine, where they meet up in the airport and you see the Trask Industries commercial on TV. Yeah, there's... The thing about these movies is they don't go into a lot of explanation in their continuity or anything like that. And it's fine, because at this point, I've just given up on any kind of continuity (laughs) with this series. That's true. I did walk out of the film and just go, you know what? I shouldn't have put the burden on Singer to cover all of what Bratner undid with Last Stand. Exactly. And so I appreciated the film. I, I, again, I came out of the film really not liking the film. But when I looked back at it and I had a better grip of the behind the scenes and what it takes to make a movie franchise and stuff like that, I gained a much deeper appreciation for how good X-Men Days of Future Past was. Yeah, it feels like the movie's kind of mantra is like, okay, you're not going to be pleased if you're looking at specific details of how we're going to rework this, but we're going to rework this into something that works well. And they did. Lastly, they kept the setting very much the same in that Hollywood does not shy away from apocalyptic futures if they can put it on the screen. Same as as it was written in the book. Everybody loves an apocalyptic future. Everybody's just waiting for things to go bad and for the skies to always be dark. And then when they resolved it at the very end in the book, they left it completely unresolved. And Well, not completely unresolved. Like she saved Senator Kelly was the point of assassination in this one, which they couldn't use in the movie because the guy's already dead. <laughs> a bit of a stretch there. <laughs> So Shadowcat saves Senator Kelly, and then her 30-year-old self just disappears out of her 13-year-old self's body. Make sure we're all following here. I checked out long ago. (laughs) (laughs) And they say, hey, Colossus, do you think that worked? It's a cliche, but only time will tell. And then they never went back to it. At a comic book, you have to create that omnimity. Is that the word I'm looking for? Omnimity? Omnissimity? What are you? What is the word you're trying to describe? Ominous, dude. Oh, ominous. Yeah. Okay. Ominicity. Close enough. Close enough. 
Whereas in the movie, they wrapped it all neat together, and that's just a difference in mediums. The story had to keep going in a comic book, whereas in the movie, the story kind of ends there with just a little bit of a hint for the future. Oh, yes. Movies are self-contained, even though they do have the uh, connection lines for future stuff, whereas comic books have that freedom to be go on and on and on, and that's why these... 80-year-old characters never age. So. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> How old is Shadowcat now? Well, oh, she God. started out at 13 in 1980-something or other, and it's 2014, and she's in her mid-20s. Hmm. The math there isn't all correct, but we're pretty... Well, actually, she might be breaching 30, but still, she's she's portrayed younger than she should be, as with everybody. Oh, yes. I remember what I was going to say about the whole ominous tone of the apocalyptic future. Uh, at the end of the summer, I wrote a piece about how this was really the summer of sci-fi, and it, that it contained these just really great science fiction movies about dystopian futures. There's films like Edge of Tomorrow, Snowpiercer, 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 and Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. And this fits really nicely into that canon of kind of films that were released this summer that really stood out. Do we really just are waiting for the world to end? It's one of our dirty little secrets in that we just want to see it over and over, which is... Who would, would I survive in this apocalyptic world? You think everybody just kind of puts themselves there? Yeah. And like, well, Days of Future Past, I'm not a mutant, so I think I'd be okay. I think so. Everyone's like, oh, yeah, I'd survive the zombie apocalypse. And then they never take into account that, well, maybe you, have the, maybe you have the mutant X gene and no, not so much. What? I don't know what the, what the hell you were talking about. Anyway, Skyward, take, it, take us to the music, okay? Oh, okay. Get me into your where you get nitty-gritty. This is, this is the part where I talk about music. Whoa. Okay. Uh, music of X-Men Days of Future Past is this time done by uh, John Ottman. He is the one and only returning composer in this franchise. Otherwise, everything's been done by a different person. He's also the editor of the movie, so... There is that. Kudos to John Ottman. Exactly. He's taken on all sorts of roles. The music to X-Men Days of Future Past, of the superhero movies that came out this year, I'd say it's probably the most basic, gets the job done, doesn't get in the way of the film too much. It's not showy like you would expect from Hans Zimmer or someone of his ilk, but it certainly has its place. In comparison to the last solid X-Men movie, First Class, the sound goes much more traditional, whereas First Class was a bit more synthesized. You can definitely hear that in the action. But it does feature synthesized elements like some, like appearances from guitar, bass, some electronic sounds in there. Let's play a sample. What are we going to listen to? This should be the track known as Time's Up. It's from the beginning of the movie when the Sentinels are attacking the group of future mutants. Perfect.
And then in more specific detail, Ottman crafted the theme of hope, which is known as Xavier's theme. It's kind of the the emotional through line for the entire movie in that this is what you're supposed to take away from the movie. The whole kind of journey is a, Xavier's journey to find hope in humanity and mutant kind and find refined his purpose. Ottman's conveyed this musically through a piece that, with all respect, sounds very close to Hans Zimmer's time from Inception. It has that... The wah sound? No, it's... You've got your piano melody. It's slowly building up, swelling, adding the orchestra in there. It's supposed to be one of those very emotionally moving pieces. But not the wah sound. Not the wah sound. There aren't too many wahs in this one. (sighs) Everybody loved the wah sound. Everyone did, and then... And then it became cliche. Yes. So. <laughs> That's right. That came cliche really fast. <laughs> Pretty much instantly when the trailer came out. Not even when the movie came out. When people heard it in the trailer, it was, well, I know what that is. Wah. So this is a sample from the track known as Hope, Xavier's Theme by John Ottman. it a lot i do it's really it really got me into the uh into my my deep calm place i don't get there when i'm near you a lot of the times you drive me mad skylar yep and not like the not like the love mad like i want to i want to kill you mad yep Um, but that that helped you're not the only person to tell me that oh good your girlfriend oh yeah oh wonderful that's (laughs) great you guys so cute oh uh just as a bit of speculation on my part, since uh, director Brian Singer is coming back to direct the third outing here, X-Men Apocalypse, I'm going to guess that he's going to bring Ottman with him for that one, too, since they have basically scored every movie together uh, since, I think, X2, which includes Superman Returns, Valkyrie, and this one. Mm-hmm. Oh, and Jack the Giant Slayer, but who remembers that movie? So. I don't. I don't tell me about Jack. No, actually, don't talk. Tell me about that. You can hear that on my. <laughs> no, never mind. you actually did a podcast on that, didn't you? Uh, we did like a, a year ago. We did a podcast on the month of March, and that was one of the movies we talked about. I'm sorry. I had a you ver- had to sit and talk about that movie for 30 minutes. Yes. Well, I had a very. It ended with a very good snafu from me, where in which I gave it 5.5 out of five stars. <laughs> That's okay. And I've never lived it down since. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. Speaking of X-Men Apocalypse, that's the next one, right? It's some, it is actually time for fun facts. Sorry, I got you ramped up for our speculation project, our speculation portion. <sighs> We're doing fun facts real quick. Tell me about Rogue. Okay, well, again, much like Amazing Spider-Man 2 with uh, the Mary Jane situation, uh, Anna Paquin came back for X-Men Days of Future Past to uh, record... Well, not record. Uh, <laughs> Do a voiceovers? Yeah, no. Uh, no, she 
Anna Paquin came to shoot some scenes. Uh, there was a whole extra storyline about when Kitty Pride gets injured in this movie. Rogue came in to kind of help her out with that. But uh, a few months before the movie was released, those scenes got cut. I'm guessing the fact that this movie has a pretty good pace to it, those might have interfered with that, kind of made it more muddled than it needed to be. But there is already confirmation that there's going to be a an alternate cut released on video DVD in 2015 that will feature those scenes. So What? Yeah. <laughs> what is that, a director's cut? I think so. Okay. Yeah. Whatever. Whatever. Are you going to re-release this in two years? Not in, in theaters, but, you know, yeah. on video. Okay. What about, uh, well, this film had... Just a little... I, I thought this was interesting when I was looking over it. And by looking over it, yes, we can say we looked at the Wikipedia page. Oh, yeah. Screw us. We did other... <laughs> we looked at other places, too. Don't worry. But this had over 1,300 CGI effects. And that's on the high end of things. That's a lot of CGI. That's that's very high on CGI. Uh, apparently, they went through 12 different studios. The Let's not talk about how many studios those studios went through as well. Oh, yeah. No, there's... In the visual effects world, there's so much, you know, just freelancing out. Um, well, it just kind of siphons down. It just trickles down, doesn't it? It's- that's, yeah, from what I understand, that's about what's going on in the visual effects world. But, yeah, 12 different studios. Who knows how many of those goes through. Uh, and I'm- eventually it all came together. I don't get how it all comes together. If you If you send it out to 12 different groups of people who then probably send it out to 12 more groups of people, um, how does it all come together and look good? I'm guessing it's through the the visual effects supervisor, a man who was the head of the visual effects supervisor for the movie Prometheus two years ago, which was also a big Fox release that had mm. numerous... Financial but not critical success? Yeah, how about that? <laughs> we won't get into Prometheus, don't worry. There is not enough time to get into Prometheus. <laughs> not comic booky enough for my likes. Understandable, but it does uh, feature a good amount of Fassbender, so. The man's got a great jaw. What can <sighs> you say? The man's just great. <laughs> I want him to know me. <laughs> 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 I wish I would say hi to him once. <laughs> just just go down to the bar and be like, hey, man, you're really good and frank. <laughs> Thanks. Dream come true. <laughs> That's it. That'd be it. Yep. Uh, Don't need to go any farther than that. But What was the uh, negative buzz? Okay. The film? One thing I just wanted to talk about was, despite the fact that X-Men was going off, you know, a pretty good vibe from... Uh, First Class and Wolverine, there's a lot of early skepticism with this movie uh, when they saw who was getting cast for what. Uh, Most of it kind of hit a high point around January when Empire Magazine released like this set of 21 different uh, covers with all the characters. I saw that. Yes. It was good. good. But they had weird poses. They had had weird poses. They had weird poses, but a lot of people were like, these Sentinels from the future look really dumb. These Sentinels from the past look dumb. And Quicksilver, his look, looked really, really dumb. Yeah, it and did initially. I thought it was going to be one of the stupidest characters in the film, but it ended up being one of the high points. Exactly. And so many people just had to eat crow after that because the Quicksilver <laughs> scene was arguably one of the best scenes in the movie. Yes. But, I mean, when you see 
Who is who played Quicksilver? Uh, Evan Peters Evan from Peters, yes. American Horror Story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you see Evan Peters in those early shots with that like silver jacket and those stupid goggles, and you don't get into the mood yet that this is the seventies. You don't get that costume design mood. Um, where the flying lapels and stuff like that. Uh, it looks really dumb because if you just look at a 70s outfit without being in a 70s type ambiance, it looks pretty dumb. True. And that's, I guess this just turned into a thing of don't make up your mind before you actually see it in the context of the film because I wouldn't say looking at that cover, it inspired any kind of overwhelming feelings of, oh, this is going to be awesome. I won't pay money to see this movie anymore. Right. Like, that doesn't happen. Come on. We all pay money. Don't worry. Exactly. And I think uh, early on, there was a lot of the whole kind of apprehension that uh, Fox was using the Quicksilver character and Marvel was Mm -hmm. using the Quicksilver character. I don't even want to get into that because it's so confusing. It's a whole new bag of beans. We have to explain who owns what movie rights and stuff like that. Just we're going to let it sit for now. Understandable. It's a speculation time. I think it's speculation time. We should make a fun little theme. Speculation. No, give me a beat. Give me a beat. Give me a higher beat. You know, like squeakier. Speculation. Speculation. Okay. Well, screw it. We're so cool. <laughs> I love how cool we are. <laughs> try all right we try our best for you our fans our beautiful faced fans <laughs> but give me the first moment oh wait we left them um, hanging x-men apocalypse oh yes x-men apocalypse that Bop-bop. little end credit scene where it's on sabanur and sabanur i'm going to talk about x-men apocalypse with like bane because uh well last i heard um the rumor was that in between being pursued for the Suicide Squad movie, Tom Hardy was being asked to play Apocalypse. Now, okay. <sighs> now, I don't really believe that he's going to take it, but that's... It's fun. Yeah, that's... We're in, the spec- wait, wait, we're in speculation mode. Everything's off the table. Nothing's a fact. We're all just guessing, and we all have high hopes for X-Men Apocalypse because Days of Future Past was so good. It and was. Everybody's everybody's back. Exactly. They've got it in a place where they, they don't have to work around any mistakes continuity, from the past. Yep. Yeah, like that. Um, continuity, clean swipe. They've got Apocalypse is going to be the third entry in the first class trilogy. So it'll mostly focus on them. Uh, reports recently said that the Magneto Mystique romance is going to be a play a big part in it. And other than that... We also may see the appearance of Gambit, not played by Taylor Kitsch, as in X-Men Origins Wolverine, but by none other than Channing Tatum. Magic Mike, coming at you. Damn. But other than that, it's X-Men Apocalypse is set for May 2016. Can't wait. Should be great. Yeah, and we're going to see characters who were dead get a little redemption. I don't know his... For, like, Cyclops, Jean Grey, and Storm are Marsden, Jansen, and Barry coming back. Those those three power hit houses. My speculation is that there's definitely a chance of it, but I don't believe they'll focus on those characters. Okay. 
Yeah. I don't. I, I think I'm ready to kind of put them away. I want to see Cyclops come back because he I, just that guy needs some justice. Yeah, yeah. His character has been boned in the movies <laughs> so bad. Ugh. Either he's not involved or he is poorly involved. Yeah. And I just really want to see some redemption. Cyclops, he's a huge part of the X-Men. And yet he is not the greatest. He's, ah, yeah, this, I have many complaints. Well, maybe, maybe we can see a younger version of that character in joining the first class crowd and he will get his due. Okay. Well, speaking of Gambit as earlier, Gambit's going to get his own film? The talk was when Channing Tatum came aboard, he would appear in X-Men Apocalypse and he would also get his own film. Why do they give Gambit a standalone instead of anyone else? I think wouldn't it, would you want like a Magneto with Fastbender? Uh, a Mystique with Jennifer Lawrence? Do you, is it just because those two people's schedules are too busy to try and create a standalone? I think that might be definitely part of the case. There's also the fact that, you know, well, when they, they got such a big star as Channing Tatum for Gambit, why not go for it? Well, yeah, what about Rogue? I mean, Anne Paquin. Could use could uh, well you could kind of say her the, she was the main focus of X Men one a little bit with her and Wolverine pretty much and from what I understand there's a very mixed reaction to Anna Paquin in these movies okay also because like for someone for every person I know who is like oh wow why wasn't Rogue in that movie and there's someone who is like oh thank God Rogue wasn't in that movie on the topic of tie-ins there is one recently confirmed tie-in my heart that, is a flutter Skylar that does have a release date does have a star and director and after oh i don't know about half a decade of talking about it is actually going forward and that's deadpool oh i fainted i fainted i've been waiting for deadpool for so long yeah deadpool is the non-comic book readers entry point he is the character that breaks the fourth wall he goes up and down he's wild that test footage that they released of deadpool which sort of hit the internet by storm because that's a common thing nowadays. For a, for a couple for a week, it did that. Yeah. Was fantastic. Ryan Reynolds is the greatest choice for this character when he can talk. Yes, yeah. when he, he's allowed to talk, he is the greatest choice. And you have to pay some depth to this movie because now they've established that you know we're just gonna flat out ignore some things that have come before. And Deadpool's portrayal in X-Men Origins Wolverine. We'll get to it. Well worth ignoring. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. That was bad no matter which way you look at it. Yeah. But no, that's coming out in February 2016. Um, Live action, PG-13. Live action. um, If they know what they're doing, they'll go for R. Um, No, I don't believe that. Because, I mean, the test footage, if you if you take a minute now, viewers, and look for the test footage, just Google search Deadpool test footage, you'll notice that the Deadpool test footage was PG-13. No blood, excessive amounts of violence, because that's okay, and one big swear word. I think they can do that throughout the whole film. They could. They might be able to get away with it. The thing about Deadpool is that uh, if you look at, you know, just go through some of his comic appearances. He's pretty brash, yeah. Pretty brash pretty with brutal. the language. Pretty gory as well. So. But I think you can just take out the graphic and the MPAA is pretty cool with tr- America is pretty cool with an outrageous amount of violence in its media as long as there's no graphic 
there are no blood or stuff like that or dismemberment, yeah. as well as no swear words. We all get up in a tizzy with swear words for some reason or another. But another uh, option is that uh, with the Wolverine, the um, 2013 movie. Wolverine 2? I think it's just called The Wolverine because they also were like, yeah, screw that movie. Oh, you're talking about 2013 Wolverine? Yes, the, okay. Jap- the I thought Japan you were referring one. to the untitled sequel that's still coming. Because Hugh Jackman is going to keep pumping these out like his arms. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I don't see him losing his figure for it at any point. But going back to The Wolverine, the 2013 movie. That was another movie that was released as a PG-13 film. You know, took the blood out. When it came to Blu-ray, they released an unrated cut of it with all the graphic blood and all that fun stuff so now just give me a yes or a no did you see it i own it yes and was it better with the blood um here's the thing they added the blood in it was good that way 10 words or less skyler they added extra scenes in made the movie worse now is wolverine going to be the center point center point of the last set of scheduled x-men films x-force Ooh, i Admittedly, know little to nothing about X Force except for the fact that the producers have said, "Yeah, we're interested in doing it." Okay, is it kind of like uh, Guillermo del Toro's passion project of Justice League Dark, where people have said, "You know, that's a good idea." Uh, where's step one? Uh, step one: finding a writer and director. <laughs> have they found that for X Force? I don't believe so. No. So therefore, there's no guarantee. Right. Well, there's no guarantee until they put it on the calendar. Pretty much. But, I mean, there's high it's high speculation then. Yeah. They're just, well, what are they going to go after Apocalypse? We're just assuming. They they mentioned X-Force. Okay. After Apocalypse, uh, I th- they hired a scriptwriter, Jeff Wadlow. Oh, did they? Yeah. Okay. Lauren, the guy. Lauren Donner. Okay, yeah. She's the producer. She's yeah, the she's producer pretty, on all right. the X-Men movies. And she's been the one who's talking about it. Jeff Wadlow is the guy who did uh, Kick-Ass 2 which is not a very hopeful statement, but... I think they're talking like uh, it's pretty confirmed here and that they're saying that Cable and Deadpool will show up in X-Force. Okay, maybe then I'm just not keeping up with it. The uh, exciting thing about Jeff Wadlow is that he took up the Kick-Ass franchise from Matthew Vaughn, who, if we remember correctly, did X-Men First Class. Yeah, can't wait for that Fantastic Four movie. Yes. That's going to cover it today. Superhero Movie Club is recorded and produced in the studios of KMSU in Mankato, Minnesota. Find this podcast online at superheromovieclub.podbean.com or subscribe on iTunes. Next show's topic is going to be Captain America, the Winter Soldier. (gasps) Hail Hydra! (laughs) We love that movie. We're so excited. Well, that'll do it today. I'm your host, Michael Maurer. And I'm James Skyler Houtsman. Have a super week, everyone. If I could save time in a bottle The first thing that I'd like to do Is to save every day Till eternity passes away just to spend them with you